the Galatians, but it was for Jesus Christ. He said, I want my body to bear the marks of Christ. Not for my sake, not for your, but for Christ. That's why I want to give you the message that is the truth. I'm not going to water it down. So that's what he was really telling them. Is Look, you've found some teachers now that are, are, are giving you some false ideas. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the truth. And if you don't like it, am I now your enemy? Because I tell you the truth? When once you heard me before, you, you listened to me like, like everything I said you were going to do. And now, all of a sudden, you've heard a conflicting report and you're, will, and you're willing to take a step back. The false teachers, they didn't love the Galatians. They didn't love the Galatians. Let's compare a couple verses. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 17. Galatians chapter 4, verse 17 says, They zealously affect you, but not well. See, these teachers, they were affecting these people to do something. They were taking action. You know, I think a lot of times we, we relate uh, spiritualness to activity. This is a big danger in youth ministry even. We, we correlate activity to spirituality. That because we're doing things, it must be right. You can look at churches all across the country that might be doing things, but what is their motivation? They might be zealous about it, but it might not be well for them to be doing it because are they doing it for Christ? Or are they doing it for other reasons? See, our job is to focus on our church and make sure we are pleasing the Lord. And the false teachers that came in and had no love for the Galatians, they were zealously affecting them, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. See, they, they didn't want to really get close to these people. They just wanted to kind of use them for their purposes and move on. They had their own gain. Let's look now at chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they might glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. See, Paul's clear. It doesn't, the, the outward doesn't have anything to do with the inward man. Did you read that? The outward man has nothing to do with the inward man because we're new creatures. The, the, the appearance has nothing to do with what God has done on the inside. They wanted you to, to do all these things but they weren't teaching you in love. See, teaching truth is loving. Teaching the truth is loving. Teaching untruth is unloving and it's abusive because you're trying to manipulate people to do things that you think they ought to do instead of what the Word of God clearly says. I'm thankful for a pastor who preaches the truth. Amen? I'm thankful that I have a pastor who will tell us, hey, I want you to look this up in your Bible and expects us to know our Bible and have our Bible and follow along. Because that shows me something. It says he wants us to check 
and test and be sure that the things that are being said, and I like it sometimes when he even says things purposely to see if we're checking. He'll, he'll change a word and then he'll stop and wait and see if you'll say, no, 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 that's not right. That's the church's job. It's to check to make sure the gospel being preached is the truth. And I am thankful our pastor teaches and preaches the truth of the gospel that shows his love. That shows that he loves you, and more importantly, he loves God. And he doesn't change the truth. See, it also changes our relationship with God. That's the main issue. See, there were false teachers. But that wasn't the biggest issue. The biggest issue was the personal relationship. These people, these churches in Galatia, had with God. Paul assumed something about these legalists. Now when you think of a legalist, someone who follows the, the law to a T, you would think that, because they, they live off of guilt, they live off of, of fear of breaking a rule. So, you know, they know if you break rules, there's consequences. We do this with our, you know, four-year-old. Two, the two-year-old, Kate, she's oblivious. Uh, she, you'll tell her something and she's like, yeah, okay. And then she goes and does the thing that you know told her not to do. Uh, if you've worked in the nursery, you know, you know that Cheerios and gummy bears go a long way with getting Kate to do what you need her to do. Uh, Emma, though, Emma, she's she's so sweet, so so wonderful. She's smiley, like oh, daddy. She's like, I'm gonna get a toy. But she knows if you break the rules, there's a punishment. If you do this, this will happen. But there's also a good part of that, right? If you do this, then this will happen. If you clean your room, then, hey, we'll get to go do this. If you don't clean your room, here's the punishment. You have rules and you have laws and you follow them because you don't want the consequences. Well, legalists in the gospel, when we think about the law, it was given to show sin and to bring it forth out of us that we can be convicted of how we can't keep the law. Legalists say, no, I can keep the law in my own strength and in my own power, and that's what's going to get me to heaven, is doing what everything the Bible says. I'm going to do everything to a T, but they miss something. They miss a very important thing, which Galatians hits on and Ephesians hits on, and it's a word, grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. They just like to skip over that verse. They like to skip over those words because it takes it away from them. See, the main issue was their relationship with God. And Paul assumed that these legalists hadn't fully thought out the consequences for their breaking the law and staying with legalism. See, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a weird thing that It's almost like a lawyer who breaks the law in order to get a legal thing passed in his favor. You know, if you're in a courtroom and you swear under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and you tell your and the and the lawyer tells his client to lie under oath so that they can get the case. That's what a legalist of the gospel is doing. They're saying, "I'm going to tell you the truth," and then they lie. And then they say, but I'm telling the truth. And this is the truth. And they're lying while they're saying it. They're saying, you must keep the law to be justified. But that's not what we read in Galatians 6.15. And Galatians 
uh, 6.16, in Galatians 6.14, in Galatians uh, 3, chapter 11. Galatians 3.11 says this, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And then look at verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. See, he's just bringing it full circle. And he's telling the church at Galatia, look, we're gonna, I'm going to hit this till the cows come home. You need to understand it's by grace and not by works. It's by faith and not by works. No amount of law-keeping can justify you before God. We just read it. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the promise that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is on the right hand of the throne of God for you, making, interceding for you so that you can receive the grace of God. So this change, it brings some things. Look, we're going to look uh, quickly at some verses. Chapter 3, verse 29. We become heirs according to the promise. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's a change. We, we go from being outcasts and homeless to becoming heirs to the promise. No longer like the the son of the bondwoman. Remember on, on Sunday night we talked about that. But we become a son of promise, like Isaac. The, the way God intended it to be. Not the way that man made. We become free from the law's condemnation. Not free from the laws and just do whatever you want. We're free from the law's condemnation. Chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's us. That we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We become the sons of God. Galatians 3.26 For ye are the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus, and we gain the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. See, we have a change. We've become a new creature. And that's what He said in Galatians chapter 6. At the end of the chapter there, He talked about, it's not about the circumcision or flesh or non-circumcision, but a new creature. That you've, become, you've been reborn. You're no longer your old self, that son of, uh, of the world, the son of the flesh, but the son of the Spirit, the son of the promise. There's a danger when you just consider, well, my works gain me favor with God. The danger is Galatians 5.17, first of all. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So if you say one thing, and God's Word says another thing, 
One is the Spirit and one is the flesh. If you say, well, I can work my way to heaven, I can be good enough, God will even out the scales, I, I've been a pretty good person, that's a legalism. That's legalism. That's saying, well, I, I'm pretty good compared to some other people. So that's man's way, and God says something different. He says, it's by faith in Christ alone. It's not by your works. So you are fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You're fulfilling the things of the flesh, and so therefore you cannot be doing the things of the Spirit. You cannot be doing the thing, things that God says, His way. So right off the bat, the first danger is that you're walking in your sin. You're remaining in your sin. You're never, you have not left your sin. You've not repented of your sin. You've just changed it. You've changed it from maybe some of the actions that appeared to be bad, and instead now you've just turned it to a man-made religion that you can just be good enough to get to heaven. But I'm a moral person. Well, that's great. Morals do not get you to heaven. Having, having good morals doesn't get you there. It goes beyond that. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ trusting in His grace for your forgiveness of sins, not your good works. So the first danger is that you walk according to your own sinful nature. Galatians 4.30 Galatians 4.30 says this, Nevertheless, that saith the, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And then Galatians 5.9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We had uh, an apartment in Abilene, Texas. If you don't know where Abilene is, look at Texas and kind of find Dallas, Fort Worth, and go, you know, a good halfway through the state west. And once you don't see kind of anything around, that's where Abilene is. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's three hours to like Midland, Odessa, three hours to Lubbock, three hours down to like San Antonio, and or more like four hours, and three hours over to Dallas. It's forever to get anywhere. Like you're out of the state of Ohio kind of time driving. It's crazy. We had uh, this grand idea that we were going to bake some bread. It's a gr- it was a good idea. Heidi was just remembering the story. So we had, we had some yeast, and we were like, oh, we're going to make this bread. Well, guess what happened? We never made the bread. So we were just like, ah, I'm just going to throw it away. So we just took it out of the package, threw it in the trash can. Yeah, it was like a freezer pack. It was dough, freezer dough. So we pulled it out of the freezer and just threw it away in the trash in a sealed like, cabinet in our kitchen in the middle of summer. So we leave for work. You know, we come home. It smells kind of good in here. It smells like, it smells like bread, you know. We'll open up the cabinet, poof, you know, this thing has blown up to like the size of like a big like yoga ball, you know what I'm talking It is huge. We're having to like pull it out in sections. It's ridiculous. A little leaven, it doesn't take much to blow up. If you don't want, if you want your bread to turn out right, right, you got to just put the right amount in. If you uh, want to do something right, when you have this leaven, and this is what I was talking about, the sin, this wrong way of thinking, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Have you ever been around someone negative? It doesn't take long for you to start getting negative. Same thing with positivity. It's the same way. Whatever you surround yourself with, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. That's the way you're going to start acting and being. So what's God teaching us? What's Paul trying to teach the Galatians here? Your relationship with God changes 
when you trust the gospel and you reject the false teachers, you have a danger when you start hanging around people who believe you can work your way to heaven. When they're believing different, a different gospel. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Get it out of your ear. Get it out of your, get it out of your, your group of friends. Now, are we to be witnessing to those people? Yes, absolutely. So that, that does mean we have to go out and speak to them and talk with them and spend some time with them. But please don't get your doctrinal truth from those who teach error. When you hear wrong, when you hear it being incorrect, don't take it in, reject it, and give the truth. Don't take your future for granted. That's another danger of legalism is that things are going well. Like, hey, I have good morals. I'm living a good life. I'm not doing anything wrong. I have no major sin that people know about. It's my, I have some of my hidden sins, my secret ones, but nobody knows about them. God knows about them. We talk. It's okay. But the danger is you assume your prosperity means you're good. Oh, we're good. Hey, God's leaving me alone. I've, I'm prospering. God favors me. Let's look at Galatians 6, verse 7. You know this verse, or at least it'll be familiar when we start reading. Be not deceived. What is it to be deceived? Tricked. Don't trick yourself. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're getting time to, to go out and reap the fields. Brother Chris, good to see you tonight. Right? Going to get ready to go out and reap. You're not going to get something different. If you put seed in the ground, whatever type of seed you put in, you're going to get that kind of fruit out. Right? If I put an apple seed in the ground and, and, and just take care of it and let it grow into a tree and it starts blossoming and it's a beautiful cherry tree. No, it, no. If you have a cherry tree, that means you didn't plant an apple seed. You planted a cherry tree, a uh, cherry seed. All right? there's, a, there's a difference. What you put in is what you get out. Be careful. Legalism says, well, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm living life my own way. I'm, living, I'm still living in sin. I won't call it that. I'll just say, you know, I'm doing good works. But that doesn't mean God favors you because you're doing things your way. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Remember what we just talked about. Remember what we just read in, verse, in chapter 4. You can't fulfill the, the law of God. You can't fulfill God's way by doing things your way. You can't please the Father and please the flesh. So if you're trying to justify or get God's grace by your good works, it means you're doing things in the flesh. And what we just read, when you sow to the flesh, you shall reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap everlasting life. Do things God's way. And lastly, it changes our relationship with others. It comes as a result of the change in our relationship with God. See, that relationship's first. And as we see who we are in light of who God is and how much He loves us and the grace He's showed, shown us. See, don't get confused with grace. A lot of times we think grace, we can just live how we want. God's going to love us and forgive us doesn't mean you can indulge and live in sin and forget about other people and forget about consequences and just do what you want to do. That's not grace. You see, we have freedom from sin. That's the freedom we have. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, 
But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of these which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, these things are wrong. The grace of God does not take these things away. But look at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We're instructed that when we get saved, we receive the Spirit. And we're to live in the Spirit, and then we're to show forth the fruit of the Spirit. Those things that were just listed. Not the things before. That was the old man. Behold, we're new creatures, right? Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're a new creature. That's the change. Not the outward appearance. Not what men see. Not what the things that we're showing everybody, but what, who are we before God? That's where grace comes in. We're to help others fight sin. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, chapter 6, verse 1, ye which are spiritual, those who are living in the Spirit, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. A very different, contrasting view of how those false teachers were teaching those. They said, oh, you're overtaken in a fault. Let me help you out by, by guilting you some more. See, when Paul says it, look, I, I love you and I want to help you. And I'm going to consider myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to check myself to make sure I'm not doing things in a wrong manner, in a wrong way. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, verse 2 says. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man uh, prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in him, himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. See, these false teachers were going around and saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that. Never looking at themselves. They're just seeing what they can get people to do to make themselves feel better. So in your life, it's not about you do all these things to earn favor with God. You do all these things to you know, just put on a show for other people. No, you do all these things so that you can say, God... I'm doing this for you, not for me. Because if I think myself to be something, right, verse 3, I'm deceiving myself. And God, you're not mocked. You know whatever I sow, that's what I'm going to reap. If I'm sowing of my own way, of my own flesh, then I'm going to reap corruption and not life everlasting. But what are we supposed to do about those good teachers? What are we supposed to do with the good teachers? Look at verse 6 of chapter 6. Let him that is taught in the word, that's us when we hear the word taught, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That's us. Sitting, listening to a pastor who teaches good things. You see that in the end of verse 6? We're supposed to communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That means we go to the pastor and we encourage him. That, that's what that means. You don't go to the, the teacher who's teaching you well and is being biblical and just rail him and drag him down. 
No. No, you, there's a way to go and, and speak to the, the man who's teaching out of truth and out of love. And love is speaking the truth. And like Paul said, what? Because I'm speaking the truth, now I'm your enemy? You know, sometimes the truth hurts. But Pastor Warnick is not the author of the truth. He is a messenger of the truth. If you have a problem with something a pastor says, it's really a, a problem with the Bible, as long as this is what he's preaching. And so what are we supposed to do with those good teachers? Encourage them. Encourage them. Well, somebody else will encourage them. No, you need to encourage them. Don't just expect, because I can tell you, he doesn't probably get like just all this encouragement that you think he might be getting. Maybe on Sundays, but there's, then there's Monday and Tuesday. And then maybe Wednesday of midweek, you know, he'll get some people encouraging him here at church. But then there's Thursday and Friday. And he's always expending himself, visiting, caring for people, bearing one another's burdens. That's the pastor cares for the flock. He cares for the church. And as a good teacher, we need to communicate to him in all good things, encouraging him. Pastors get discouraged. I was reading an article today that pastors in, in America, eight and a half years is about as long as they last in a congregation. Eight and a half years. I don't know all the reasons why I didn't go through and ask every single pastor that was listed in the survey as to why. But I can tell you, some of that might have been because of some discouragement. They didn't feel encouraged. Well, they just need to be encouraged in the Spirit. Well, that's true. But the Bible also tells us to encourage those in good communication. So some of that's on us. Those who teach us well, we ought to encourage. We always look for well, he said this wrong. You can get a lot of things on me. Well, Brother Corey, he said this wrong. He said this wrong. Did you see the video of the newscaster, the sports anchor, who was on uh, ESPN or something, and uh, he was given a, a sideline report, and he was just, and, and so, and we'll just look at him, and wow, guys, okay, back to you. That, that's what I feel like sometimes up here. I feel like I am just stumbling over words, or I, I'm not quite sure wh- wh- how it's coming out. But Pastor loves this church, and he prays for you, and he cares for you. We need to encourage him. Can we pray that God would grant us the kind of love in our hearts that we say we have? It's easy to say, oh, I love people. But can we ask God to truly give us the love in our hearts for other people so it'll show and it'll be truthful? You can have the right words and have an unchanged heart. You can recite the gospel and have an unchanged heart. You can know, you can have a a cognitive understanding of what the gospel even is, of what the good news is. I could read the paper and read the news and not, and not let it affect the things I do. You can hear the gospel, read the gospel, understand the gospel, study the gospel, and not have a changed heart. And it's evident by how you live. It's evident and evidenced by your quiet time alone with God, by what convicts you, by what you go after, what you search for, what you try after. The gospel's message is divine. It's trusted. It can be known. 
And it's through grace in Jesus Christ alone. You know, there's a country in North Korea. You might have heard about them in the news. It's terrible. It's a terrible country. Not the people. The government. The government enslaves the people, starves them, so that they can remain in power. They can have control over the government. They keep the money to, uh, to, to buy their weapons and, and fund their uh, ideologies, and the people suffer. I recently watched a video of a, a young lady who escaped North Korea, and she told what it was like there. And she couldn't help but just weep and, and cry. And I was watching, and I was weeping. I, I shared the video. It's on my Facebook page if you want to watch it. But it's, it's terrible. The things that she described... How much sense would it make for this young lady who fled, risking her life to flee, now knowing freedom in another uh, country seeking refuge, knowing all this freedom she now has, how much sense would it make for her to flee back to North Korea? None. Why would you go? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to, to, to the same government within the same uh, regime? Why would you go back into bondage and in that slavery? That's the same thing we do when we go back and live in that sin. When we go back and say, well, I'm just going to try to do things my way. I'm going to try to earn God's favor. I'm going to try to do all these good works. I'm going to be very involved. I'm just going to do all the do, 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 do. It doesn't matter if your motivation and, and you're putting yourself back under the slavery of sin back under the, the bondage of the law, when God says, no, it's by grace. You're free. You're free from that sin. You don't have to live in it anymore. I don't want you to have any part of it, but instead have the fruit of the Spirit, which you read there in Galatians 6. This is the message Paul is giving to the Galatians. You were enslaved, but now you're freed. Why are you going back? So I want to ask you, are we allowing the gospel to change the way we see our God. Like, well, I know the gospel. I know you know it. But has it changed your heart? Some of you gave testimony and witness. Others, used, while I was talking, maybe you thought about how God changed your life. In a miraculous way, you were saved. You became a new creature. Old things were passed away. All things became new. Are you allowing that truth to change your view of others and how you treat them? Your relationship with your teachers that are teaching well? And are you able to defend the gospel when it's taught incorrectly? Because we have been freed from sin to live unto God. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that as we take time now to, to reflect on some prayer requests that you would uh, grant us help or to accomplish the things we talked about tonight or to uh, give you our, our hearts, give you our, our lives, Lord, our, our sin, that we wouldn't live in it, but Lord, instead we live in uh, the Spirit, allow you to manifest and show yourself in our lives through how we respond to your word, Lord, how we treat others, uh, and that we do it out of proper motivation, not out of trying to uh, gain favor with you, but out of love for you. And Lord, help us to balance that per correctly, and Lord, always uh, guard our hearts against uh, sin and Lord, being uh, self-centered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, as we come into a time of uh, prayer, we've got a, a few minutes. I want